You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the still privately held sports business podcast, The Sportacast. It isn't very often, Evan, that you can get a chuckle off one of your interview subject but you know there's jack retzinger ceo of SeatGeek. you chuckled there jack right you, you, now is that a good chuckle is that a bad chuckle where where, where does that stand on the on the spectrum of chuckle it was a clever evan uh, evan reference so it was uh <laughs> to that excited to have you back on the show jack um and last time you were on to get right into it we talked a lot about uh, a deal you guys had in place to go public via acquisition um, deal was called off because of market forces pretty late in the process. You guys then raised a bunch of money at a, at a nice billion dollar valuation. I, how different is is the company right now than you would have thought you'd be in November if I'd asked you back, back when you were on a few months ago? It's super similar. We were, as we previously were preparing to become public, very intentional about not wanting to change the day-to-day life at SeatGeek as a result of being public and making sure that what makes us successful stays and the culture doesn't meaningfully change. So in that sense, public-private doesn't really matter. We're just focused on building the best technology possible, getting more fans to events, and that is still as true as ever. Now, t- tell me about that, though, where you say, all right, we don't want culture to change. The difference in CEO of a public company and a closely held company is vast. How can you operate in the very same fashion? Something would have had to have changed. Do you know what those things were? Yeah. And to be clear, I'm sure my role, my day-to-day, a bit different in those two cases. I'm thinking more just of the average employee and what they're building and what they're focused on every day. So as a private company, you can have fresh fruit and bananas in the lunchroom. As a close or as a public company, maybe you're you're getting them off the back of the truck and they're a little bit brown. Like you're, you're saving your pennies <laughs> wherever you can. You got to hit those quarterly numbers. We never contemplated the fruit implications, to be honest. With you. <laughs> Let me ask you from a macro level, though. Seriously, from a macro level, and in terms of building a business, private versus public, the ability to do something perhaps that will cost. Uh, but it will be good for the company one, two, four years down the road. Can you do that as a public company? Do your shareholders want to hear that? Or is it just, no, 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 this quarter, next quarter, quarter after that, I want to see you exceed your your uh, your expectations? SeaGeek's currently private and can't comment on future public or private stuff, but we are absolutely focused on building for the long term and 
doing that via technology. Ultimately, we believe we have the best product in this industry, that technology transforms industries, and it's our job to extend that advantage. And that is true in all cases. And it, as you guys know, technology doesn't happen overnight. It's a long-term game. It's something you invest in and gives the companies that do it well a really durable, long-term moat. Can we, can we talk about the funding you guys did? The You brought on some new investors, some old investors, but but the new ones include Ryan Smith, owner of the Jazz, who we'll talk about in a second, and Arcto Sports Partners, a group that we I feel like we talk about almost weekly Hello, on this Doc. show. Hello, Ian. Um, <laughs> but you were able to raise that money at a time when it was really tough out there for for, for companies to raise money. Um, walk us through that that process, how easy, how difficult that was, what, what you learned and how different that was from other funding rounds that you guys have done in the past. Yeah, it was different for us because like we were just talking about, we made that choice instead of going public at the time via DSPAC. The round honestly came together quite quickly and was easier relative to past rounds we've done. I know that sounds a bit odd given the current funding environment, but I think it's a testament to uh, how the business had been performing and is performing. And our investors seeing that and seeing how well SeatGeek had been doing, also seeing what was happening in the public markets. It was not the prettiest thing. And knowing that it was... The best. This is a. By the way, it's a conversation we had with with Redbird at the, at the time as well, because you didn't have to be too keyed in to uh, what was happening on Wall Street to know that it was not an ideal time to be a newly public company. And we thought that as a result, investors agreed makes a lot more sense to remain private and uh, you know, raise that round, keep focusing on what's what's driving all of the growth versus being newly public in the market earlier this year. We talk a lot on this show about investors, the way that athletes and team owners invest in in companies and the things that that both of those entities and, and big private equity firms, what they bring to the table. You've got all of them on your cap table, private equity funds, you've got athletes, you've got team owners. How do you think about the differences and what, what those groups, Carmelo Anthony, Peyton Manning, the what those groups bring to the table in terms of helping you guys? Is it is it a, a seat, opening a door to talk to somebody. When do you lean on them? How's your relationship been with with the various kind of groups of investors you guys have? We're super lucky to have the investors we do and the board we do, and a lot of it just comes down to human beings. It's you know we had, for example, a board meeting this morning, and we had Chad Hutchinson from from Arctos on our board who was here, and there's just given what they do, a lot of relevance to his world and ours, and he's got an understanding of. What we're working on that the average um, the average person probably wouldn't. So it's, it's honestly less about intros or connections and more just this is an incredibly smart person who has so much context and can have a really strong instinct and and gut take that he's equipped to have because he's just got years of context and has been sort of working towards being able to so quickly understand what we're trying to do and how we could best do it. Wait a minute, Evan. Let me see if I get this straight, Jack. That you're telling me that. Two people talk to each other, <laughs> and somehow something good comes of that. I'm unfamiliar with this because the next generation, I'm sorry, you would have to be on your Snapchat. Chad, who I believe, by the way, am I correct, was an NFL and MLB player? So, yeah, quite a background. Like, he'd be four feet away. You guys wouldn't speak. <laughs> you would just snap him a picture of yourself, and he'd know what you're thinking instinctively, and you'd proceed from there. Yeah, we're not that evolved, I guess. We're still doing the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're getting a sense of how Sportico operates over can, can, Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't talk to Eben ever unless we're in two different locales. Can you give me so just the quick elevator pitch? Like when people are, all right, 
oh, big, big, broad picture, 30,000 uh, foot view of SeatGeek, because I think the knee jerk for those not in the know, they'll be like, all right, well, SeatGeek, that's a ticketing company. And that that's probably nails on a chalkboard. You No, 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 guys, we're a technology company and this is why. This is yeah, exactly. We're a live entertainment technology company. We're a platform that, yes, sells tickets, but does so many other things associated with attending an event. Things like getting you into the building, buying merchandise and food while you're there, upgrading, uh, event discovery. And we're able to do all of that much easier than alternatives out there because it's all vertically integrated in a single piece of software versus maybe buying a ticket on a secondary market that has no relationship with the team that you're going to see. We can deliver, it's an unfair advantage. We can deliver a much better user experience because of that vertical integration. Can you, can you give me the real world? Like, I, I'm serious. Right? Like, t- you're taking me on the guided tour now. Here I am, Scott. I'm walking into, I don't want to be play favorites here, but any arena, okay? So when does the SeatGeek experience start? I'm at home. I want to buy a ticket. I want to, okay. Walk me through now my process of getting to event, in event, leaving event. Yeah, I mean, it starts with figuring out what you're going to go to in the first place. And particularly when it comes to music, that's often non-obvious. So learning about users, recommending events to them. I want to go to Taylor Swift, Jack. Everyone does. Everyone <laughs> does. <laughs> but th- then once you've decided to go see Taylor, helping you find the very best deal, the very best value for that show, which is not obvious. Every seat in a arena is different. They all have different prices. A human brain can't do the math to figure out of the 70,000 seats available for the Taylor show, which one's best. We can do that for you. You then get the ticket delivered seamlessly in the app. That is unfortunately not the status quo in many cases. You may have had the experience where you buy a ticket and you actually don't receive the ticket in the app. You have to then go download another app and someone you don't know transfers it to you, et cetera. That part's seamless. You get into the event seamlessly and you might, before going, transfer those tickets to a few friends They can versus having to meet them out front and organize all going in together. And then once you're there, we have a product called Rally that actually lives with fans throughout their time at a game or at a show. Might be helping you buy beer. It might be merch. It might be upgrading your seat. It might just be info about the game, a venue map, helping you get in through the best entrance, helping you book a lift on the way out. We, our job is to live alongside a user through the entire experience of going to something and just make it better, make it uh, easier. Excuse my ignorance. So, when you said book a lift, was that a sponsor promo or or, or, a, or a partner promo? L I F T or was that L Y F T? That was we we have a partnership with Lyft. So, so it is L Y F T. Okay, so I won't use the other four letter one that's possible. Just lift and lift only. Go to your lift pickup section. I got it. Okay, just wanted to make sure you weren't saying, "Hey, I need a lift somewhere." No, no, L Y F T. And Jack, was this the vision that you guys had all along? But when you started back in 2009, I think a lot of sports fans probably got to know you first as a secondary market platform. Was this the kind of thing that that you saw the, the, the path all along? Was there a moment kind of along the way where you were like, you know, maybe shifting to, to doing primary and then, oh, and, and doing all these other things on top of it. Um, that's our future. When did when did the vision come, come together? For yeah, you? I'd be lying if we said we, we saw all of this when we started. I mean, when we started SeatGeek, there were no third-party app store apps. So the whole, you know, mobile wasn't even really a thing. You know, the iPhone existed, but you couldn't ship an app to the app store. So what has stayed constant and true throughout is a focus on transparency and making the whole experience easier for fans and using data and technology to do that. The way we've done that has changed radically, and it's been us hopefully reacting well to how the world changes and what opportunities we have. Your business is one of those, and, and, I, and I feel like we're often talking to, to folks in, in various corners of the technology world where I feel like so much of the future just hinges on how 
good adoption is among among sports fans. I, I, I think back to that one of the craziest getting into a stadium experiences I ever had was back in 2016. It was the Yankees home opener, and it was the first year that they had stopped doing printed home tickets. Mm. And none of the Yankee fans had figured out exactly how difficult <laughs> By the top be. of the knife, Evan was almost in. <laughs> it, 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 was, it was mayhem outside as everybody had questions about how they could get but in. those how were to, old how people like it. me, Evan. Come on. Now, well, the, this now is my, the, all the kids, the, the, the parents hand the kids the phone and say, go find the tickets. 100%. I think mobile tickets are one of those things that, that sports fans have, have, whether they wanted to or not, have adopted at this point. But But I am curious how you think about tech adoption among sports fans and I assume it just gets better and better every day to, to, to implement the things you want to do because you do need a level of savvy in, in a lot of ways to, 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 to execute a lot of this stuff. Yeah, 100%. I think COVID was a really useful accelerant. Obviously, COVID awful in many ways, most ways. But in terms of pushing tech adoption in our industry, it was, it was helpful because for obvious reasons, paper tickets were particularly unappealing during COVID and people wanted more flexibility. They wanted to do things contactlessly. So that was really the final push to get nearly the entire industry using mobile tickets. And for us, th there's great power because it turns the ticket into a piece of software. I mean, meaning previously, maybe that sounds a bit uh, highfalutin, but by that I mean previously you had a barcode, it's a piece of paper, you can't do anything with it, it's, it's static. Now we have software and you can do all sorts of things with it. Very basic things would be transferring Scott transfers a ticket to Evan uh, versus having to physically meet up with him. But it also means that we can provide information on that ticket. We can allow people to upgrade. We can allow people, people use SeatGeek now to mint NFTs from tickets. Anything you can do with software, all of a sudden you can do with a SeatGeek ticket. And it really explodes the possibility set. Yeah, yeah Scott transfers ticket to Evan, then pesters Evan for three weeks for payment for said <laughs> ticket. <laughs> This is actually a good good transition to the to news that you guys announced this week. Utah Jazz and another partner that are joining you guys. Uh, I spoke with Chris Barney, the, the chief commercial officer over at, at at the Jazz. One of the things he said is that they they were one of, if not the first, NBA arenas to go totally cashless. They have been doing digital tickets for a while. He felt as though along this topic that their their fans were were already used to a lot of the, the digital native things that, that you guys are obviously pushing. And that would mean that they would be able to run with you very quickly on a lot of the things that you're doing. Walk us through the, the jazz deal. I assume every NBA partnership has, has some things that are similar and then some things that are very specific to their individual markets. But every big five partnership that you guys bring onto the platform, I imagine, is, is, is a big step for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so freaking excited to be partnering with the Jazz, partnering with Ryan Smith, their owner, who I really look up to as an entrepreneur. He's just done incredible things. Jazz fan base is incredible. Jazz organization is one of the most forward-thinking in pro sports. And also, as part of this round, Ryan is investing in the Series E we were talking about earlier, which I think is you know, honored, delighted to have him further validation that he hopefully thinks we're, uh, we're not completely crazy in what we're trying to do. And when that happens, are you like, okay, we got a good shot at getting the jazz ticketing business now that, that Ryan well, is on, on the How badly would you table? have to screw up if Ryan's <laughs> in on your Series E and you don't get the jazz as a partner? I mean, come on. To Ryan's credit, he, you know, Ryan, you mentioned you, you talked to Chris. That was very much a decision that, that Chris drove. And I think Ryan is an excellent leader and, and really wanted his team to choose what was best for the jazz. So uh, they, they, were, they were separate decisions, although we're delighted by both of them. We're chatting with Jack Retzinger, CEO of SeatGeek. And Jack, I hear a lot from the different leagues. We hear some age uh, skew older, some skew younger. MLS went with Apple. Do you find there is a difference 
in what sort of overall fan bases are ready for. They can u- utilize more uh, of what you have to offer if MLS younger, if, if, if true. Or is it same product for everybody um, and, and figure it out? I think the simple answer is the latter. It's okay. There's not meaningful differences in how well Feature X adopts across leagues. Our audience overall skews much younger. We have done a lot of influencer marketing and generally have attracted a younger user base. So my answer as such may be a little bit biased given our cohort is not representative of of all fans in exactly the same way, but we haven't seen meaningful differences across leagues. Eben has made a great suggestion to several sports team executives that they should have an advisory board of teenagers. (laughs) And I'm wondering... Would you consider that? Do you consider? Do you have it? But just looking forward, what a 13-year-old wants, and I call my 13-year-old son my focus group of one because I watch him, but then, of course, I do watch how he interacts with all of his pals, and I learn a great deal, and I found I can extrapolate their behavior is pretty much what every all those kids are doing. Uh, I'm just curious how you keep up with, I'm the one doing the buying. Yes, my kid may want to go to the game or whatever, but I'm the one that goes to buying. So how do you keep up with what they want and how they are living in the world? Yeah, we, we talk to our users and we talk to them across all ages. So we don't have an advisory board of teenagers per se, but we are interviewing teenagers all the time. We're taking their feedback. We're, we're thinking about a feature. We're putting a very simplified version in front of them and seeing if they like it or not. And I think it's the core to, to building great products is to actually be, be in front of your users constantly. Part and parcel of this conversation, I know you guys do a lot of advertising via influencers. Walk us through your, how, how you think about that opportunity and what you see return-wise versus the more traditional advertising that, that, that sports teams and maybe sports executives are, are more familiar with. Something that's been a lot of fun, but also has been really successful from an economic standpoint. And a lot of it is because it's, it feels very authentic. It's not like we're doing influencer marketing for toilet paper. I don't even want to think about what that might look like. <laughs> doing it, for, for, it would all be very soft, a soft sell. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing it for live events. It's something that is natural. You know, we do a ton on YouTube, for example. It is super natural to partner with an influencer, to send them to the World Series with their dad, to have them vlog that whole thing and talk about it. And it's not like they're pushing SeatGeek into that in some awkward pitch manny or pitch woman-y kind of way. It's very authentic and real. And I think that's what's made it successful. We want our brand to be accessible and inclusive to everyone. And influencer marketing has been an incredible way to, to get that out. I mean, it works, Evan. I think I've told you this, but Jack, again, my, my focus group of one, who is 98% vegetarian <laughs> of, of his own doing, it, that's fine. But one day we're driving and he sees the Golden Arches and he never goes to the Golden Arches. And, he's, and he says, Dad, can we go to McDonald's? And I'm like, what, what are you going to get at McDonald's? Why? I want to try the Travis Scott burger. <laughs> Oh and I had no idea what that was. I did not either. No, well, yeah, right. But it worked. He wanted to try what was the thing at Dunkin' Donuts? Whether the Dixie, one of the Demilios had a drink at Dunkin' Donuts. He wanted to try that. I mean, I'm, I'm I, I hate the fact that my son has fallen prey and victim to this, and it works on him. But apparently, it's working on all of them. It's so interesting, yeah. and and the, the and I, I don't know how much you can talk about the the structure there, but I assume those deals are are largely referral based that they that they they're not straight up cash, but they're there's they're something more direct about ROI that you guys can can get back. I think that that seems to be the way, and and we talk a lot on about this on this 
topic around sports betting, it's a way a lot of sports books are setting up their their marketing spend. Um, and a lot of those executives find that the, those deals are, are tend to be healthier for them, where they're not just handing over a bucket of cash and hoping to get it back when people see their ads. But there's obviously a very direct through line they can see and also set up economically to, to, to capture specifically the, the ones who are doing a really good job at referring customers to their site. Yeah. The part of the beauty and uniqueness of influencer marketing is every deal is different, exaggerating a little bit, but versus, I don't know, something like search engine marketing where Google, it's always the same. You go to Microsoft, it's basically the same. There's a lot of flexibility because you're dealing with a single human being and what they care about is different and what they might do with their content and is different. Uh, how they're talking about so, so there's no standard template for how it works and i think that actually you know for a brand gives you more space to do something interesting because you're not it's not as efficient a market or, or standardized a market which means there's there's more space to really separate yourself scott should we be doing influencer marketing it's what do you think yeah we absolutely you, you should definitely time. be absolutely <laughs> get that novi underscore williams out there there we uh, go yeah, define success any way you want jack but which have been the most successful of the campaigns among the influence influencers? Like what has given you really good ROI? Um, we don't talk about the, the ROI for particular influencers. I think the stuff, but thematically what's been most successful is the stuff that's authentic. It's the stuff where it's not, it's not forced and where the influencer probably would have been creating the same content anyway. They're not doing it for SeatGeek. We're just along for the ride and it's super organic. I think that's what works best. Got a name for me? Who, who are doing those things? I, I, I don't know who they are. Who, give me some of those names. Um, I'll give you a random example. We did a music video of, uh, I'm going to forget the names, Cody Code, someone else, uh, where they actually integrated SeatGeek into the music video, which sounds crazy. It was super, it felt super authentic and, and not as strange as, as you might think. And it, you know, big success. All right. I, I, I'm a data geek. I love talking about data. Uh, and I love talking about h- how data is utilized by sports teams. And I'm fascinated by predictive analytics. What do you utilize predictive analytics in terms of how you market to your existing customers? Oh, last you went, you've seen like whatever Taylor Swift three times, uh, and as soon as she announces a show, boom, you hit them with Taylor Swift is coming, and you drank two cokes at that show, and you bought some merch, and do you want that hot dog again? Just how deep do you how deep do you drill down, and how do you utilize all the data that you capture? Yeah, hundred percent, we do, and we also importantly try to help our clients use that data as well to improve their businesses. We have the advantage of looking across a ton of events, a ton of teams, a ton of venues, whereas a given team obviously only has their own venue and the the data that comes from that. So what we can use is the anonymized data and what we've learned about the market writ large to help a client price their tickets better. Pricing is a huge opportunity in our industry because it has historically been poor. And not just price better, you know, hit their fans at the right time when they actually want to go see something figure out for a given show they're announcing who's most likely to attend. It's really powerful what we can do with all the data that we have. That's very interesting. I've learned throughout the years that teams in a particular league probably don't trust each other. Like They won't share this kind of data with each other or with a, with a central league office, so to say. They, ju- they just don't trust that it's being utilized properly. Do you find sort of as a third-party warehouse that you have that trust, that they believe that you will... Um, you will treat it with the privacy that they want, even though, it can, like you said, it can be anonymous data, um, but that you have the advantage in that you are not in a related entity? Yeah, to be clear, we're not sharing any, we're very careful about data privacy and not sharing any uh, client data 
across clients. What we know is that, on average, a fan that has these five characteristics right, right, right. Might, is more likely to do X. Maybe that's by a nosebleed. Maybe that's by at the last minute. And when you use that very generalized understanding of what the typical fan does to help our clients ultimately reach more fans, sell more tickets. Can, can we go back to the pricing thing you just mentioned, by the way? I, when you say that, that pricing has been poor, is that just teams that, that set a singular price and leave it, not enough dynamic pricing? What is the what has been the, the structure for pricing that, 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 that you feel like has held the industry down? And what are you guys pushing to, to change that? Yeah, I think you just hit a few important parts of why it's been poor in the past. It's been too inflexible. It's been too human-driven. It is often, and this is a hard thing to change, but often the season ticket prices are an artificial floor, but a real one for what prices can be set at. So if a team is really struggling and the market clearing price for a given seat is $20, but the season price for that seat is 40, teams understandably are hesitant to go below 40, but it, it does mean it creates sort of an inefficient market, which is then going to the issue is, in that case, the fan who wants to buy at 20 is not going to give up. They're going to go off-platform and just buy somewhere else. And they're still going for $20, but the team doesn't know about it. They don't get the revenue. They don't have a relationship with the fan. I, I find this dynamic to be so interesting. And it's true for it's definitely true for concerts. And it's true for sporting events and, and teams as well. Just the, the, the pricing dynamic between if you have a very in-demand ticket, right, and, and it sells for a lot on secondary market, you're not capturing any of that money. But if you were to price your tickets that high, you're going to obviously anger a whole bunch of people that want to go see your games. Um, yeah, I, I find the ticket pricing conundrum in some ways, for lack of a better yeah. word, a really interesting one for that, for that exact reason. You know what I can't wait for? I can't wait for Balmer's new arena for all of us to go in, we put on our headsets and above everybody's head is how much you paid for your seat. And then we went laugh at the same, we all point and laugh at the same person. Oh dear. <laughs> I'm taking it to the next level. Don't integrate that idea. Jack. <laughs> but, but there will be a democratized way. I mean, pretty soon we're going to know what everybody's saying. It's going to be transparent. Yeah. And you, listen, you can always ask the people sitting next to you. There's nothing stopping you. But I think if you remember a team's perspective, they want fans transacting on their official platform. They want to have relate teams want for very good reasons. And it's good for fans too to have relationships with those fans versus it all being off platform. And I think better pricing enables that because it, it, it removes a reason a fan might otherwise buy off platform. One last one, because you mentioned it very briefly earlier, Jack, NFT tickets. Is that what do you think is actually the the, the utility and the future of of that idea and product? Yeah, the honest answer is I don't think anyone knows yet. I think I was talking earlier about how SeatGeek uh, turns tickets into software. There is You can take that a step further and put that software on an open blockchain and do all sorts of things with it. I would say we have not hit a point yet where anyone has found a super compelling use case for NFT tickets. I don't, they're not the norm yet for a reason. I wouldn't bet on that being the case 10 years from now, but I think anyone who, who has a crystal ball for that is is probably kidding themselves. So, you know, our, our from a SeatGeek perspective, our view is, we are here to facilitate innovation from teams. So we, we provide the tools for folks to mint an NFT from their ticket if they want to, and then let a free market of ideas and, and uh, you know different products interact with that and, and really see what wins. And it's our job as the, the platform for all of these venues to provide the substrate to make all of that happen. All right. So Wonka had the everlasting gobstopper, a real product that he was hoping to be close to coming to market. What's next at SeatGeek? What's, what's, what's there, but not there yet? We have we 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 have a strict policy around uh, not 
not pre-announcing features until they're out there because we don't want to sell things that don't exist. Broad stroke, what it might, what might it concern? <laughs> I think, I think it's, there's a lot of interesting things that we can do and the industry can do when it comes to the in-venue experience and taking advantage of the fact that people are no longer getting in with pieces of paper. They're getting in with computers. And there's a whole explosion of possibilities that that... Atta boy, Jack. Ask, ask Eben. I, all the time on this show, say I don't understand how almost no one in in the 120 whatever of the major pro sports leagues whatever nobody has differentiated the in arena in stadium experience blindfold me whatever you want plop me in the middle of a of an arena stadium i don't know where i am it's the same everywhere so i ask you you know who's doing it well and 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 what might that look like i i'm dying for somebody to revolutionize the in stadium experience yeah, I think there's a, a, a ton can be done there and a really interesting problem space. So we're uh, we're thinking about it. All right, Jack Gretzinger, SeatGeek CEO. Not not the first time, so repeat customer. Thanks so much. We uh, we really enjoy having you, and uh, uh, I, I'm looking forward to my ingress, my egress, my my predictive analytics. I want my hot dog and, and coke waiting for me when I get there, and you're all helping all out. So thanks so much. Thanks for having me, guys. This was fun. I know, Eben, you love the ticketing world. You have far more knowledge than I do. You've been following it. You, you love the ticketing world. So you tell me, what is SeatGeek as a tech company doing that excites you? Yeah, I'm really interested. I thought that a few of those things were, were... I'm fascinated by influencer marketing, first of all. Um, and, and that's probably separate from this conversation, really. Uh, I, I think the thing that he was getting at at the end, and, and I know he can't talk about specific what that looks like. In my mind, if I'm just kind of taking a guess and reading tea leaves... I think that one of the things that digital tickets really let you do is that you right now you you get a ticket and you go in and that's that's what the ticket gives you access to and and some teams are playing around with the devils do this I know you've seen it access to specific food options that that only some ticket holders get versus other ticket holders but there's no reason why specific tickets can't come with uh, an option to go to a meet and greet after the game or a signing session at halftime or whatever it is there, there's a whole lot of in in arena experiences that you can tailor a specific ticket around, sell very different price points. He talked about pricing in there, sell very different price points of tickets, not just because of where in the arena you're sitting, but also what you're doing after the game or how early you got into the stadium or where in the stadium you can eat. There's a whole bunch of stuff that I think gets opened up the more and more and and as tech and, and, and digital begins to rule this space. So in my mind, that's what it is. It's 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 the these in, in, in arena experiences and the way in which a ticket when you're sitting next to somebody can be very different in pricing, not because of the view that you have or how close you are to the action, but because of all the other ancillary things you're able to do. And that will help the teams because you know how I operate. If I drive and get gas and it's you know 369 and I go down a quarter mile and it's 368, that bothers me for a week. But if I knew that there was other things going into that pricing... You know, it wasn't just about the price of the gas in the stadium. <laughs> then I might be okay. A hundred percent. And and to flip it for a second, I I am very often um, either trying to bring my own food or eating a lot right before game, so I don't need to buy it in there. If I am willing to not spend a dime on 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 fancy concessions, but the person sitting next to me really wants access to the fancy concessions, I would argue that we shouldn't be paying the same amount uh, for for our two tickets, right? So so if I can. Save money they'll, monetize, they'll monetize that other person 100%. better elsewhere. So if I can save money on sitting in, in, in the same seat because I, I don't want to do all these other things versus the person next to me who wants to have all those experiences pays more. I think I think both of 
both of those people win in those scenarios. So, so again, about, yeah, I think it's a lot of these things. I'm about to make a reference that older people will understand that you will have no <laughs> idea what I'm talking about, but you just have to play along, okay? okay. So much like Rerun had the, the tape recorder fall out of his jacket during the Witch Doobie Brothers, you know, Witch Doobie Ubi, during the Doobie Brothers concert, you would have all the Kashi bars falling out of your pockets as you tried to slide to your seat and they're all, you know, tumbling out because you don't want to pay a nickel for the fancy concessions. What a reference, Scott. I, was that English? I, you have I no idea, right? Every you other know, word of what you just said. I'm, I will ask you to please go and put rerun Doobie Brothers, what's happening? Okay. And watch the scene where the tape recorder, he was trying to bootleg the concert where the tape recorder falls out of his jacket as he's dancing, as Rerun was was wont to do. Love it. I love it. All right. He is Evan Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams, not Raj. <laughs> I am Scott Soshnick on the Twitter at Soshnick. Our producer is Matt Whitehurst. Matt, I think we had to cut this one up a, a million different ways. So thanks so much for your efforts on this one. Digital media editor's core development. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which will soon, and I promise soon, become right? Soon becoming the Sportico Media Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.